you know, have moved. And so we're in a new neighborhood. And, you know, what was one of the first things you do, right? You, you find the HOA, like Facebook group. It's very bizarre. Like no one complains, like there's no issues. Everybody's super helpful. And I was like, what does that say about us that I'm like, where's the complainers? You moved into the perfect neighborhood. I don't know. I don't know what the deal is. Uh, So does that mean you're going to become the neighborhood complainer? Because everyone needs one. I might as well. I mean, I hate for it to, you know, go unserved. Welcome to... Touchpoint, a podcast dedicated to discussions on digital marketing and digital patient engagement strategies for hospitals, healthcare systems, and physician practices. In this podcast, we'll dive deep into a variety of topics on the digital tools, solutions, strategies, and processes that are impacting our industry today. We hope to share a lot of great information and have fun along the way. And now, here are your hosts, Reed Smith and Chris Boyer. Welcome to episode number 129 of Touchpoint. I am Reed Smith. On the other side of the microphone is always Chris Boyer. Hey, Reed. Episode 129. Is that a prime number? Did we just go through this? What are prime numbers again? Numbers that are only divisible by themselves and one. Mm, would that be right? No. Three can go into this number. Yeah, that's right. It, I just Googled it. 129 is a product of only two primes, three and the number 43. It makes number 129, by the way, a super prime. But that's your math lesson for today. A super prime. <laughs> oh, good stuff. That has nothing to do with today's episode, uh, but uh, useful information nonetheless. So here we are, episode 129, uh, back for another week. Uh, touchpoint.health is the website. Thanks for all the support. My job, my my change of uh, of jobs, I guess, hit LinkedIn this week, and so I got a lot of nice, you know, notes as you do. And um, and several people said, "But don't stop the podcast." So that was uh, that was nice to hear. That uh, well, we're not do. planning to do that, are we? No, 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 not at all, not at all. Uh, again, touchpoint.health is the website. Rate, review, subscribe over on Apple Podcast or wherever you happen to be listening. Still, the number one way that other folks. Uh, can find us, find out about us. Super, super helpful. Would love to hear from you. If there's uh, things you'd like for us to talk about, questions you want us to answer, guests you want us to interview, uh, hit us up on LinkedIn, Twitter, or whatever your uh, communication medium of choice might be. Before we jump in today's episode, let's take uh, just a quick pause and we'll, uh, we'll be right back. Using powerful AI-driven algorithms, Loyal's Guide helps patients along every step of their journey, from choosing a doctor and finding the nearest location to signing up for an event or clinical trial. Whether you are using Guide's chatbot, live chat, or the powerful combination of both, Loyal's engaging platform integrates seamlessly into your system, maximizes efficiency, and improves patients' digital experience. To learn more or schedule a demo, visit them online at loyalhealth.com forward slash demo. That is loyalhealth.com forward slash demo. 
Okay, Reed, today in in this episode, we're going to be talking about brand differentiation. And as we get into it, I want to uh, do a little shout out to a good friend of ours, Lee AC, because it was something that he said many, many years ago that we're going to be using as the episode title today, which is, you're unique just like everyone else, which kind of speaks to the point (laughs) of brand differentiation, right? Is that most hospitals struggle with being different and unique in their marketplace. They do, absolutely. Especially as you get to kind of the regional and certainly community-based systems, you're going to have, from a brand standpoint or differentiation standpoint, certainly there are the brands that people think of. Cancer care, uh, MD Anderson comes to mind, especially from those of us that you know have spent a fair amount of time in Texas or uh, kind of in the South. Uh, there, not that there's not other great cancer centers out there, Sloan, et cetera. When you just say hospitals, you know, world-renowned hospitals, well, AC, Mayo Clinic, Cleveland Clinic, Hopkins, I, Mass General. Anyway, th- there's different ones that come to mind, but what do we just name? Four, five, six hospitals, and there's 6,000 or so. Uh, one of the markets that I've done a lot of work in, two primary healthcare systems in town. They both do basically the same thing. They both have about 50% market share. And not only do they do the same thing, but they really try to differentiate themselves, at least in the time that I've spent in this space. Hospital brands are trying to differentiate themselves in a lot of different ways, but all of those things, those differentiations they use also tend to look the same, if you think about it, Reed. Like, for example, awards. I mean, how often do we have to, you know, hear a hospital ad that is focused on awards? And all of those awards are starting to sound the same, aren't they? They are. I, I personally uh, know 400 top 100 hospitals. Exactly. Exactly. And way back when and when I started in the space, I was working for an organization that would rate hospitals and give them awards. And it's crazy some of the things that people hang their hat on for awards, like top five in sepsis for the Quad Cities area or something like that. (laughs) You know, I mean, that literally was an ad that I've seen out there. Oh, my gosh. The funny part is, is some of this stuff bubbles up internally, right? Like you've got a service line leader or somebody that's over a division or institute or whatever it may be, right? And say, hey, we won this award and we should publicize it. And I'll pause there because I'm I'm not dogging or, or bagging on those people because you want them to be excited and feel like this is something that needs to be promoted. Otherwise, like that, I mean, that's exactly who you want running these service lines. But what does that mean to anybody? Right. How does that influence consumers selecting your care or referring providers to selecting your care? And I would argue that, you know, it has a a very moderate impact on them making a choice. Another thing that hospitals do a lot, Reed, is they advertise or they promote themselves in very much the same way. I mean, how many times do do we have to see billboards of doctors in white lab coats with their arms crossed saying we're the best, right? Or we're board certified or whatever it might be. (laughs) Fair enough. But we've been around a a lot to this point, I guess. And so you start seeing the same picture in different ads. Now, granted, you know, one of them may have been in, 
I don't know. I'm just making up towns here, but maybe somewhere in Florida. And then the next week you see it in like the Midwest. So it's not like they're in the same market using the same stock photography, but it's just, it's hilarious, you know, that we've gone down that path. And so certainly some of that is out of necessity. It's like a bandwidth. It's, uh, you know, we've got to get things done. I've been asked to do this. It's a political thing. We all know this isn't going to work, but we need to do it for X, Y, and Z reasons. It may be all warranted. I don't know, you know, but just that's that's where we find ourselves. I once was working with a, a branding agency that in an attempt to help us define a differentiator positioning in our advertising, they put all of the hospital ads of, you know, they just did research and they laid all these hospital ads up on a wall. And wouldn't you know it, that all of those ads are blue. They have feature a doctor or technology. They were virtually indistinguishable. And by the way, can I do a little side rant here, Reed? I don't often do one, but I'm going to do one here. Who came up with the idea that blue is the color of hospitals? Where did that come from? The sign companies. No, I don't know. The government... (laughs) The local government, because they put up the blue why, sign. Why does everything have to be blue? I, I was working with a hospital and trying to build their website, and red was one of their primary colors. And we tried to use red as part of their hospital website. And, of course, you know what happened, right? Oh, it's blood. Can't, can't have red. No, no, no. Can't have red. The website looks like there's blood all over the screen. I mean, that's just crazy. But anyway, it's not just the same messages, the the awards, the colors, uh, everything looks the same. It's even the language about how we describe ourselves. And this leads us to one of the first articles we're going to talk about from our good friend, Rob Rosenberg. He's been on the show before. He wrote this article called, Can You Write a Healthcare Ad Without Using Seven Deadly Words? Reed, what do you think some of those seven deadly words that he calls out are words you should not use? Of course, I've seen the article, so I'm a little... uh... You know, <laughs> I've cheated a little bit, but it's funny because when I started reading this, I just kind of started chuckling to myself. The first one is uh, interdisciplinary. I think honestly, though, when, when we first started using that word, it probably made sense. The problem when it when we initially started using that word as in industries, nobody knew what that meant. And it was like interdisciplinary. What? But we like to use it a lot now, and I'm still not sure consumers entirely that really resonates. So number one, it doesn't really resonate and two, everybody uses it. It's like continuum or integrated or coordinated or even the word comprehensive. These words don't really mean anything. Or, or like, I would hope so. Like I, I hope <laughs> yeah, you exactly. have coordinated care. Like, why are you telling me this? <laughs> what about world-class care? We, t- we chuckle about that a lot. Even better is world-class care close to home or in your backyard. Using those terms are so trite nowadays. I I liken this to the fact that we love everything now. It's like, oh, I love hot tamales. It's like, (laughs) do do you? Like, you don't really love them, you know, but we just toss around the word love so much that it's lost value in what it actually means. And that's that's what this is. Is it's like, we're just throwing around world class and it's like, well, shouldn't you have to prove that? Or like, how does that work? So who's giving the award for world-class care? I think that's our in here, Reed. I think we need to come up with some company that does that. I'm starting it now. I'm going to, I already Googled where to buy Lucite. So um, (laughs) everybody be on the lookout for world-class awards. 
later on in the in this episode, we're going to be ha- hearing from a person that actually spends a lot of time with hospitals, helping them define their brand differentiation. And it's a really good interview, but really it begs the question, right? Are all hospitals really the same? Is there a way that they can actually be different and, and create differentiation? And it makes me think about, Reed, the podcast episode we did a couple episodes ago about the four models of healthcare systems. And it it defines four ways that hospitals can create a different business model. And in in effect, it really actually defines ways that they can be differentiator, right? It does. It does. So for those that didn't listen, you you can dial it back a few episodes. We'll touch on them briefly. Uh, But the first one is, is product leader. Your differentiation is the product itself. So Maybe it's services you offer, certain procedures. Maybe you, maybe you do have that world class doctor or, or somebody that you know is more of a destination. People are coming to see an individual specifically, or you're known for that particular service line, like you mentioned at the top of the show, cancer care. You're known for that, so that's where you're the product leader, or or whatever it might be. The second one is experience leader. That's where you differentiate on the overall experience and your customer experience focused. So right there, I mean, if you have a better experience, that can be a differentiator for you. Absolutely. An integrator. So, you know, this is where that continuum care piece, the, uh, one of the buzz <laughs> terms, I guess. It's the integration of, um, you know, different services, different partners. Uh, there's different types of integration, but you could be known, you know, for that. Right. And having like the ability to easily make appointments online or get text messages, that really, I mean, that kind of leads into the experience. But really what it does is it it allows you to integrate and provide multiple different services. And if you if you are an integrator in your marketplace and your competitors aren't, that's really a strong brand differentiation and consumers care about that. The last one is the health manager, which at the time when we were talking about those models, it was the one that it was hard to market around, but it really is a differentiator where you're a health manager and you're really impacting the overall health of the community. That is a brand differentiation if that's the model you take. The question really is, how do you develop differentiation, whether it's in your products or the experience? integration standpoint, management standpoint, like how how does that come about? Well, it's not easy, right? That's fair to say. It takes a while to do that. And it'd be interesting for us to kind of talk about product differentiation versus like basically brand differentiation. And we found two articles that we'll talk a little bit about that, but why don't we do that after this break? You care about simplifying the way your healthcare organization does business, and so do we. At Scorpion, our mission is to empower our clients to focus on things that really matter by giving them a simple, powerful, effective suite of marketing solutions for their healthcare digital presence. To learn more, visit us online at scorpion.co. So before the break, we talked a lot about you know, what we see and how people attempt through awards or whatever it may be to differentiate their brand. We even had the article from from Rob and uh, anyway, some some interesting stuff. Uh, now it's we've got an article here that you found from HubSpot, which is um, a great resource, and I enjoy a lot of their a lot of their content. But the actual name of the article is "Product Differentiation and What It Means for Your Brand." 
So this is kind of starting to take us into, well, what is it? Like, what, what are we really talking about? And, uh, you know, how do you get there? Like, what, what, what can you do? Yeah, this is a good article and definitely link to it in our show notes because it's going to contain a lot of information we're not going to talk about today in, in today's episode. But one of the first things it does is actually defines product differentiation. And since we always like to refer to, you know, definitions online, let me uh, read the definition of that. Product differentiation refers to the strategy used by businesses to highlight the unique features and benefits of their products or services and separate it from their competitors. And importantly, it calls out that the marketing team communicates these unique qualities through the various different campaigns, promotions, even online experiences. And the sales team can use them to demonstrate the product's competitive advantages. So that's a pretty straightforward definition, right, Reed? It absolutely is. And they go on to talk about, well, what what really then leads you, what, what makes these organizations or departments or individuals even, I guess, wh- how do you make it work for you? So when we're talking about product uh, differentiation specifically, the very first thing that they're talking about, which I think is interesting, is is innovation. You know, you got to be innovative, right? So you, know, you think about in the hospital environment, what comes to mind? What, what do you think about when you when you hear innovation? Well, it's interesting when you say the word innovation, because a lot of times that to me refers to doing things in a new, unique, different ways, which as you know, in hospitals, sometimes doing new, unique, different things when you're talking about care is not necessarily a good thing. That kind of leads towards clinical trials or, you know, different types of care things that you're testing out. But um, innovation in hospitals tends to be more around innovating around the experience, maybe delivering primary care in multiple different ways, or, you know, like you're doing virtual care and having primary care in the office setting. That could be a differentiator or an innovative way to deliver that care. It can. I mean, the first thing that came to mind when I, when I saw this article and it said innovation is um, the Sibley Innovation Hub, which is part of Johns Hopkins Medicine. And it's very much what you just talked about, which is about experience, right? And so they're trying to design, even says on their website, designing better healthcare from within. So again, it's back that kind of that experience piece, that care model. You know, they're looking at a little bit of everything around experience. And I I think that's where an easy play, I say easy, that's a logical place for hospitals to move to uh, first when thinking about this. Another thing that HubSpot says is the resources to create high-quality products or services. Now, in a hospital sense, that's pretty straightforward, right? You build a state-of-the-art, there's a buzz term again, but you build this like very high-tech, high-touch facility to treat cancer or to treat cardiac, or maybe you build in a hybrid OR for TAVR surgery or, or whatever it may be, where you're investing the resources and bringing in the best doctors to create that product or that service. Kind of along those same lines, uh, a strong research and development team. I think that kind of harkens back to the innovation a little bit or a lot, maybe, uh, as well as resources. But Research and development, obviously, is going to take you down that pathway to trial and error, even just little things, even in advertising, A-B testing or whatever it is, to do something different. That's right. And academic medical centers are very much research and development driven. So in that case, you're doing those clinical trials are actually part of your commitment to creating that world 
I almost said it, world-class product, right? Or that that differentiating service line. Close to home. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Multidisciplinary. <laughs> the last point that HubSpot kind of pulls out is that marketing and sales strategies that communicate benefits and competitive advantage of the product or service. Now that to me in a hospital sense talks about building that experience platform that uses your website, it uses digital and traditional elements, and then you're able to promote that in a way that really brings to mind to the consumer, hey, maybe this is a differentiator that will make me want to try this health system. I mean, I think that's obviously the the B2C or that kind of consumer connection point, right, is, is the advertising in a lot of cases. Because how else are we, do we convey benefit, right? I mean, early on, that was one of the, the smartest things people, you know, different folks taught me through the years was like, listen, let's talk about the benefit. Don't talk about the stuff. And so less about the glass and the new equipment and, you know, the building and, you know, et cetera, and more about, you know, you're going home quicker, small incision, you know, whatever, right? Whatever the benefit may be. That's the role of marketing. But is it the product that really will differentiate us? In in a lot of cases, it's more than that. And so the second article that we're going to talk about, Reed, is one that I found in Forbes that's called Brand Differentiation, How to Design Your Organization to Stand Out from the Competition. The main focus of this article is talking about the fact that leaders have to build differentiation into the DNA of their organization that will allow that organization to continually and sustainably beat the competition over and over again. So you've heard about that, right? You've heard about organizations that really try to build differentiation into their core DNA, right? Absolutely. And I think this article does a nice job of like, well, what does that mean? Because you hear that a lot, like, hey, we're different. We want to be different. We want to act different, you know, whatever it is. Right. But it's like, realistically, how does that work? Like, what what does that mean? Don't we still have to just come here and see patients and do this thing? So the the first thing they point out is uh, they talk about aligning the strategy with all sides of what the organizational Rubik's Cube as a side note, my daughter can solve a Rubik's Cube in a minute and a half. So she's going to be great at market differentiation for hospitals later, exactly. right? Exactly. <laughs> when she goes up. Or win a talent show, one of the two. But <laughs> So strategy is important, you know, and, and differentiating is, you know, the idea itself is great, but you've got to embed that into, you know, that strategy into the organization's operating model. Like, what does that look like? Really making it so that, Every part of your business is operating along that strategy of differentiation, whatever it may be, so that it doesn't matter what part of the business you're at, if it's your operations, if it's your clinical, if it's, you know, if it's uh, even the, the person changing the bed sheets in your hospital, if they all are aligning towards whatever that overall strategy would be. So that um, it becomes part of everything that they that they're living by, and quite honestly, it makes it hard for others to compete if they're trying to claim that same positioning in the market. Makes sense. The second thing they mention here, which I think may be the hardest, and I want to talk a little bit about this, but is once you have that position, the the fact that you are different is committing to it. That's hard, 
the committing to it part because we're in a we're in a day and an age where people don't have a lot of patience to let things play out to mature and so we end up in a spot where you know everybody wants to abandon ship two weeks in particularly when you're talking about you know an industry where our margins are really really low that when the going gets tough it's really easy to say you know what we we're going to create this like really best or this really top class I'm, I'm trying to avoid these words, Reed. <laughs> Try, it's really hard. But we're trying to build a really solid cancer institute. But yet, you know what? Our margins are pretty low in this particular piece. So you know what? We're just going to carve off this piece because it doesn't really make a lot of business sense. When organizations that are really committed to being differentiated in that space, they're going to buckle down and they're going to figure out why they're not meeting the margins or why they're not performing and, and just commit to it. That's really hard in an industry where our margins are razor thin. And then the, the last piece here that we'll touch on, and I, I'm going to do it very briefly because I want to talk about orange juice here in a second. So that's a little, <laughs> little foreshadowing. The, the last piece of this Forbes article, sticking to the strategy regardless of distractions, a, a little bit uh, like the second point, which is, you know, committing to it and, and having that position, right? But it's, you know, in the long run, the success around this, you know, this idea of being different or having, you know, it, your own position it really comes down to what they talk about in here is, you know, how effectively can you keep the organization aligned in the face of distractions? There's a lot of distractions and they can be a lot of little things, little things daily, big things over, you know, more of a period of time, leadership changes that that's always a hard one that impacts culture and, and, and some of those types of things. So anyway, so it's a, it's a good article Go read it for yourself, but I think there's some good points in there around what that can mean for your brand. Which leads us to orange juice. Let's talk a little bit about that. This is something else I found, another article that was actually from the website brandingstrategyinsider.com, another one of those websites that we always you know, have top of our, our favorites. We always visit every mm-hmm. week, right? Yes, every week. <laughs> this popped out at me when I when I saw it. It's called differentiation versus centrality. Have you ever heard of the term centrality? Uh, yes, but no. We're not using it <laughs> in healthcare ads. Maybe we should. Ooh, I, that, let's add that to our next ad campaign. <laughs> centrality. Centrality. The premise of centrality and differentiation is this. Brands in a category are typically more similar than they are different. Yes. Okay, that that resonates here, right? Yeah, absolutely. And classical marketing suggests that differentiation is, is the key way to differentiate your brand, so to speak, right? Find a point of difference or a unique selling proposition and then differentiate your brand on the basis of that in the consumer's mind. Okay, I'm following along with this, right? Mm-hmm. Well, here's the point. Sometimes that differentiation doesn't necessarily make the best brand differentiation, so to speak. And the article, the author of this article, really refers to Tropicana as an example of that. So here's how we lead to orange juice. <laughs> Do you remember when Tropicana first came into the market, one of the things they differentiated on was around being not from concentrate. You remember that? Um, yes. Yeah. I didn't realize that they started it necessarily, 
But yes, the the not not from concentrate was a big deal. Remember, even their ads had like an orange with a straw in it. Yes, I do remember that. Yeah. Right? Because they were saying, we don't create our orange juice from concentrate. Because at the time, the market was awash with orange juices that were from concentrate. I mean, it made sense. It was, you know, a quick way to mass produce orange juice, etc. But guess what happened after Tropicana put out in the marketplace that they were not from concentrate anymore? Everybody else started to make orange juice not from concentrate. Imagine that. So we could probably draw a direct, direct parallel yeah. to the healthcare industry here now. Everyone has the best doctors. Everyone, you know, is tops at everything. Right. Everyone provides, you know, the greatest of care close to home. It's, yeah, it's all the same. That leads to this concept of brand centrality, where brand research demonstrated that the extent of which a brand is central or typical of a category bears a relationship to how easily it is recalled in the consumer's mind. Okay. A typical brand is one that is located at the center of a category. But if that centralization to that category is such that consumers are referring to that and actually comparing other people in that marketplace to that brand, right? If everybody thinks of orange juice and compares it to Tropicana, right? Because Tropicana was the first one that was not from concentrate. Yep. Then that actually reinforces the differentiation of your brand. So you win. So the more that you're different, the more you become alike, thereby winning because you were first. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. It's kind of, it's the same concept of why people think I know what I'm talking about around social media. <laughs> I'm not smarter than anyone else. I just happen to do it first. <laughs> maybe that's not exactly the same. No. Okay. Maybe, maybe that's not exactly what we're trying to say here. But the point is, if you're if the consumer is constantly referring back to their experience with you and comparing everybody else to that and comparing their experiences with these other health systems to the experience they had with you, then in effect, you are, by being sort of that centrist role model, you are the differentiator in your marketplace. There you go. And therefore, you you actually are different. That's right. Just like everybody else is. Are you struggling with online reputation management? Binary Health Analytics provides healthcare systems, hospitals, and physician practices a complete view into managing patient feedback from online ratings and reviews and especially surveys. It continuously mines feedback for sediment, uncovering timely and actionable insights. Its management tools help turn these insights into an opportunity to increase patient engagement, manage reputation, and improve patient experience. To learn more about Binary Health Analytics, visit Binary Fountain online at binaryfountain.com. That is binaryfountain.com. Welcome back to the Ask the Expert section of our podcast, and today I am talking with Cassie Benowitz. Cassie, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. 
I'm looking forward to talking to you today. And uh, we, you and I have had a couple of conversations to date. But for people listening in, can you tell them a little bit about your background and who you are, where you came from? I am a marketing strategist in the healthcare space. My background for the last 15 years or so, I've been at one of the leading healthcare agencies here in Minneapolis. And then for the last year and a few months, I've been on my own and with a partner in a consultancy called Two Health Marketing. Um, and we focus on kind of health and medical marketing challenges a lot in the startup and early stage space, but also working with some larger organizations on some specific initiatives. I'll tell you, in my 15 years in this space, healthcare marketing has a significant amount of challenges. So I bet you're pretty busy. You know, they're not easy problems to solve. And that's the good thing. Clients come to us for that outside perspective. One of the biggest challenges I think hospitals and, and health systems face is the challenge of brand differentiation in the market. I've worked for multiple hospitals and, you know, I think it's very hard to differentiate yourself in the marketplace. Tell me a little bit about your perspective on that. I think differentiation is especially challenging. And I also think that within health and medical, like true and effective differentiation is especially critical in consumer packaged goods, if you're selling a product that someone is buying strictly because they like it or because it makes them feel something or because they think it tells the world something about themselves, they can buy it because it's pink or because it's cool or because they saw an ad that they liked. But the decisions that people are making, whether it's to within a health system or which therapy or product or device to use, the stakes are much higher. And therefore, the way that they're approaching those decisions is much more thoughtfully and from a much more discerning perspective. And so differentiation has to be actually grounded in a benefit that's meaningful and that the audience cares about and in health and medical that you can substantiate and back up. Because at the end of the day, there are only so many true metrics that we can really attribute to, especially on the marketing side, the things that we're doing. And it's always sort of a balance between what can I say that you know, is convincing to people that they care about that makes them feel the way that they want, I want them to feel about my brand. But that's also true. And that we can also deliver on from an experience and from a quality or outcomes perspective. So it's, it's just simply all you have to do is run a billboard that says world class care close to home, right? I mean, that's all you need to do, right? right? And then you'll see the next billboard from the other system in town saying the exact same thing. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, I totally agree. I mean, I think that there's a sea of sameness almost, but you mentioned a couple of things that I want to kind of drill in on. The first thing you said is that the consumer has a little bit of a different differentiation or they, they actually approach the decision a little differently. Tell us a little bit about that. I mean, I think, of course, it depends. It varies. If I'm making a decision around my primary health care practitioner, you know, a pediatrician for my kids, my general medicine practitioner, and then you're going to think about things like the hours and the location and the number of practitioners because ease of appointments and all of those things are going to be of the most importance. But when it comes to something that's a little bit more serious or more significant, if you're going in for a surgical procedure, if you have a chronic condition or some sort of complex uh, situation that's going to involve a little bit more care, then you really want to know that you're going to the best and people and different people are willing to make different types of sacrifices. So some may sacrifice convenience for outcomes, some may sacrifice bedside manner or kind of the feel and the experience for knowing that they are getting the most scientifically advanced and clinically acute care. And, and so it's about knowing your audience and it's about knowing kind of where you as a system or as a provider can truly win and figuring out how to align those things. 
Well, and you just outlined a, a scenario where many different users may have different needs and make different rationale decisions around how they seek out care. So the prospect of creating brand differentiation for, you know, for our organizations, and, and it is complicated. So tell us a little bit about how you work with some of the clients that you are currently working with to do that. This is all part of what we call the positioning process and, you know, that a strong position that you can really own and that you can defend, I think is critical to any successful marketing effort. And part of that discipline is, and luckily for me, is bringing someone else in who can kind of help you see the forest through the trees and who can ask some of the questions that are harder to ask yourself within the organization. Hopefully you're working somewhere that you feel strongly about the work that they do and and you think it's a great organization and therefore you've drunk the Kool-Aid, but you need someone to come in and be able to say, so what? And, or who cares? Or does your audience care? Or can we really back that up? Or is that something that your competitor could say just as well, you know, find and replace your brand and insert theirs. Um, So what we start with is kind of a combination of different analyses and exercises where we'll look at the audience kind of at a broader level, what, what are their drivers? What are their barriers? What motivates a buying decision? Is it convenience? Is it cost? Is it transparency and cost? Is it reputation? And then what are their barriers? Again, reimbursement, health insurance coverage, we know is the main, I mean, that's the number one thing people look at is, is this system uncovered within my plan? And so that's a barrier that you can't do a lot about other than doing a good job of negotiating with the different payers in your community. But after that initial check that marketing really can't do anything about, that's where you start thinking about how does what we do align with what our audience needs. So the first thing is we establish what we think that those needs might be. And then we run through kind of a traditional approach to features, attributes, and benefits where we're looking at what are your features or your services or the things that you offer? And then what are the true benefits that they provide? And then we look at the competition and compare their features and benefits to yours. What do you do a little bit better than them? Are you going to be all about service? Are you going to be a high touch experience? What's parity and where are the places that you are going to struggle and that you may need to up your game or that ultimately are just never something that you'll win on. And then you need to try to find kind of who that right audience is for the mix of features and benefits that you deliver better than anyone else. And then you start figuring out how to target them. The way you painted the picture, it sounds really simple, right? But I can, I understand that it gets complex. And one of the things, you know, when you talk about competition, when it comes to high, high level specialty in a particular marketplace, that specialist, which a lot of times is it, we like to market in hospitals as being our differentiator, may also practice at our competitor hospitals. How would you address that? That it's very common. I think especially the more specialized the specialty gets, the more likely they are to have rights at multiple places because in order to provide the patients that need them the care that they need and get it covered by insurance, they need to be able to to flex a little bit as far as where they'll do the procedure or provide the therapy. When that's the case, that is where some of those secondary things that people may not be the lead driver of their decision. Like most people are going to say they want outcomes, they want reputation, they like to see that this is a U.S. News and World Report ranked clinician if there's one in their market. They like to see that they have a lot of people say they do research online. I think the actual number of people that truly do the research is much smaller than those that say they do. They want to feel confident in their choice of practitioner. And then from there, kind of the way that the system supports it could be the differentiation opportunity. So whether it's a better approach to care navigation, whether it is about access and proximity, 
Or in the case of if you have a practitioner who treats both children and adults, but they also they see them in a children's hospital and it's for your kid, you're naturally going to choose to go there. I think that's where some of those more secondary benefits come into play or some of those more emotional benefits that aren't quite as tangible. I can't, this, this surgeon has done, does two of these a week, whether it's here or there, but now I'm going to think about where I'm going to feel more comfortable. When you're doing your market research and trying to understand your your customer, sometimes the customer may say they want these things and they may say they do this research, but they actually don't. I, I know the value of market research is important, but how do you balance that with, uh, you know, I guess what some maybe might be called false positives, right, with some of the research you do? I think just knowing that those false positives exist and it, with far more prevalence than probably any of us would even imagine is a key part of it. I think one of the challenges with market research in general is that Regardless of how you do it, whether it's focus groups or online surveys or, you know, one-on-one conversations, people are presenting the persona that they want the market researcher to believe that they are and that they believe that they, you know, it's their best foot forward. So anytime you're doing, when I'm doing it with physicians, I know that they're answering these questions as doctors. So they're going to say, I don't care about your ad. I want to see the data. But that doesn't mean that in the privacy of their office, if they're flipping through a trade pub, a really clever ad might not get their attention and, you know, pique some interest. And then the patient, it's similar. You have to kind of keep in mind that they're going to say, of course, I'm a mother. I'm going to do research with regard to my kids or I'm caring for my aging parent. I want nothing but the best for them. So you know they're going to do it. You keep that in mind. But then at the same time, I think it's about just recognizing what motivates and drives decisions for people. And at the end of the day, based on the condition that I'm treating, what are going to be the most, like what is that experience going to look like? Is this a in and out one day procedure in which case, some of the things that the hospital has to offer are probably not as important, or is this someone who's going to be staying for a while and therefore visitor parking and the restaurants nearby and the access, you know, the general area are going to be a lot more important. It's really situational, but that's where I think it's important to be really true to yourself and honest with your with yourself and your organization about where you win. So if you're in a bad area that is just, there's nothing desirable about the neighborhood, then you can't differentiate yourself on the fact that people and your visitors are going to come and have a great time. You just need to really focus on the things that you're doing better with in the hospital, that you offer more, that there are more navigation, that the costs are more transparent, all of those things. If you're somewhere that someone that's on several acres of beautiful land and you're treating a lot of chronic conditions, well, this is a place you're going to want to be. You're going to be spending time here and we've got a lot of outdoor flex spaces and we're going to make your visitors really comfortable. And, you know, it's, it's about knowing truly what you have and playing to your strengths. We hear a lot in healthcare um, and in hospitals that, you know, there's this whole shift towards consumerism. And a lot of times that's really hard to define what actually that is. And, and you mentioned some of these when you're talking about differentiation. It could be experience. It could be the type of care that you get, how quickly the, the accessibility of that care, you know, how convenient it is. In your perspective, what do you think are the consumeristic trends that hospitals and health systems should pay attention to? So I think all of those things you just mentioned with regard to the experience, I think there, I think it was Deloitte. Um, I just read an article, but there's been a lot of research about kind of patient engagement and what patients are looking for and how we can do a better job. And regardless of sort of what article you're reading or what study it was, or even really what the questions were, they all say consistently that because healthcare consumers recognize that they're the customer in this case, a lot more is coming out of their pocket based on current insurance plans and the way that it's working. So therefore, I'm paying for more of out of my pocket, and I feel like I should be treated like a customer. And they all acknowledge that they think that healthcare could learn a lot from other industries, um, hospitality and entertainment kind of being the first, and then some of the tech being the second. So I think 
based on though that information and just others, I think aside from the obvious experience and like warmth and comfort that you want to feel when you're at a place where you're seeking care, people are looking for easier ways to engage. They're looking, there's all this data. I wear an Apple watch every day. So I know, you know, my watch and my phone knows my average heart rate. They understand how active I am. It's really easy for me to input what I'm consuming. Yet my clinician doesn't access or use any of that information. And should I be dealing with a condition that that information might be helpful, I'm going to be asked to document it and capture it in another way. Like why? (laughs) Is there a way that we could tap into that? I think there's people expecting a better opportunity for information sharing. I think that's something that I've seen a lot of across the board. Um, How can the information that consumers are more likely to be gathering about themselves be useful to their clinician and the way that they're receiving care? Um, I think that there's definitely a desire for new channels or new ways of seeking care like virtual health. I think people are becoming much more comfortable with that. And then I think there is just a general sense of sort of acknowledgement and want this desire to want to be heard. In the last handful of years, it went from like every patient felt like they needed to go into the every appointment with having done a ton of research, being their advocate. There was a ton out there saying like, you have to be your own advocate because the insurance company is going to try to screw you and the clinician is going to choose whatever is the most profitable or the fastest or whatever. And I think we've kind of moved away from that and it, And I think people are a little bit fatigued by that. So they want to feel confident in the choices that they're making. They want to feel included in the process, but they don't want to feel like they have to drive the process. So again, it's a lot of striking a balance, I think, in the way that you provide it. I think that it is about recognizing as a consumer, these are the things I use to live my life, to guide my life every day. These are the tools and resources that are very integrated in the way that I manage everything in my life. These tools and resources could also be incredibly helpful in the way that I manage my health and I think systems and clinicians that are able to dial into that and embrace it rather than just see it as another crutch will have a leg up. You know, you're, you're describing a lot of different tools and, and ways, you know, that are, are using technology for convenience sake and being able to communicate better and effectively. Uh, and those things resonate with me and they resonate with uh, a lot of people my age. But do you think this is a generational thing? You know, as we think about that, the heaviest consumers are people that, you know, are, are the baby boomers that are on reti- in retirement age. Do you think that they also are, are leaning towards these things or are, are there any differences that they have? I don't think they are at all. I think it's the opposite. And <laughs> so oh, in that really? population, I think, it, well, maybe not the opposite. There are always going to be the people within that group that are very up on it, that it's very much what they want. Some like 80% of people over 65 are managing more than one chronic condition. And that requires more hands-on care and higher touch help. So what I would like to know is that is my if I am have a really busy internist who's managing a lot of patients, she should use the tools that she can use to keep me engaged and allow me to feel like I'm getting the attention that I need when I need it, but not be wasting her time with me when she needs to be providing that more hands-on direct contact with patients and with those chronic conditions. And that's, I mean, another big thing is obviously everybody's focusing on, you know, population health management and how can we manage those chronic conditions that are expensive and draining to the organization. And I think it's probably, and this is just my personal opinion, it's unrealistic to think that every baby boomer who's dealing with a type two diabetes and high blood pressure is taking, you know, Coumadin, they're going to start doing everything electronically and virtually and drive drawing their own blood and sending like, it's just not going to happen. 
it's all about balancing your patient load and looking at what you have and how can you optimize the easier stuff so that you've got time to focus on the hard stuff. Because that is what I've always appreciated as the patient is when I do have something that's more concerning, that's more serious, I want them to be able to take the time. I want them to be able to sit there and look at me. I want them to get, I want to be able to get in and I want to be able to have a conversation directly with my physician. And when it is a quick rash that any PA in the office on my kids in my kids pediatrician's office could look at and I could feel good about like I want to send a picture and I want them to tell me it's fifth disease and just you know hydrate him it really sounds like it's about the experience right the experience is actually what what drives differentiation in this space and what you can provide as a, as a unique individual health system. But one thing that we're noticing across the industry is that, you know, a lot of health systems are starting to merge or they're partnering up with other, uh, other brands. And that causes a lot of brand delusion, maybe. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's mm-hmm. the right oh, word. Sure. Yeah. So, you know, do you see that as a trend that's going to carry on? And how would you address, uh, you know, how would you recommend for people to consider that? So Minneapolis being a market where we have a lot of great care, and we've talked about this before, it is hard to differentiate because there isn't a huge unmet need out there. Like there's patients are finding good care at any number of systems with any number of practices. There's no like obvious hole in the market that the consumer is going to be like, finally, someone's providing this, or finally, there's somewhere I can go. And I feel like I'm well cared for both from an experience perspective and also a clinical perspective. Um, And I think that's probably true of a lot of markets. So I think the differentiation piece, especially as they consolidate or as they're merging becomes that much more challenging. And I think, I guess that's where it comes like a business case. Like that's when you need to sit down and say, all right, who, what departments do we not have enough traffic? What, where do we get the most revenue and we see the best outcomes or we could participate in more clinical that would get us additional funding or additional attention or, you know, kind of looking at, again, how you're set up, what are your core competencies, what are the places as an institution or now as a combined institution that you're better than the others and, again, playing to those rather than just trying to achieve parity in we've got good clinical care and a great experience. Like, what can you do better than anyone else? And I would focus on continuing to do those that much better because patients do often also when it comes to seeking specialty care have the ability to switch. You know, I don't have to stay within the same network that my primary care physician is for specialty care if I can get a referral and if there's a reason to go elsewhere. So I think that's when it's, again, about being honest and really taking a critical look at you and your, yourself and your offering and what do we do better? What can we continue to improve upon that others are not inclined, like not set up to do as effectively? Where can we win? And let's just win there over and over and over again. <laughs> Like make the decision, right? That says this yeah, is the like area that- you can't that be all things to all people. <laughs> exactly. <just> <laughs> that sometimes is a hard lesson to learn, right? To look yourself in the mirror and actually say, well, this is actually what I'm good at. So, Or you can, and you can just decide there's enough patients. And if, if we just continue to get the piece of the pie that we're getting and we consistently get it and we maintain these patients and we don't lose them by providing a good experience, we're okay. But if what you want is a gain, making us- Motivating someone to make a switch when it comes to healthcare, you have to, there's got to be something meaningful, especially like if there's not a clear unmet need. And that's another big difference is people are loyal and making changes is hard and there's not necessarily a reason to. So it's win on the stuff where you truly have a winning offering or be comfortable just maintaining and knowing that sometimes you'll pick up some patients and sometimes you'll lose them just by nature of the business. Um, but if it's about 
gain, it's much easier to try to focus that gain into places that you know you can focus your efforts and to patients that you know you can effectively target and reach. We hear a lot about other companies that really understand experience that much better are, are now actively trying to be, uh, aggressively trying to get into the health space, right? Like Amazon and Best Buy and, and you know, a number of these. I look at, a, you know, like a hospital system as being very much like an aircraft carrier. They can't navigate very quickly in this marketplace, right? What are some things they could do to, to kind of respond to those, those new entrants into the marketplace? I mean, I think the smartest thing they can do is partner. Uh, rather than, you know, and I think we saw this way back when with electronic medical record where, and, you know, initially there were a few places Mayo had their own Marshfield clinic, had a really big proprietary one that they were proud of and other hospitals started to try to build their own. And then they realized it just made more sense to buy the proven choices that are out there. (laughs) Unless you really think again, that this is something that, you know, you do well and that something about your system is unique. And therefore you need to try to create proprietary solutions to compete with Amazon and to compete with the best best buy title care, best buy home health, uh, focuses, then I would just partner. So don't try to build your own Amazon. You're not going to out Amazon, Amazon. And again, there's going to be a lot of places where Amazon can provide the care. But when it comes to the complex stuff, and when it comes to the, there are places that, you know, all of the technology in the world from a communication and an access perspective is not going to beat out really excellent healthcare and outcomes. And that's truly where the, where the differentiation lies. That's so great. Look, Cassie, this has been a great conversation. I really enjoyed it. Um, if people listening in want to know a little bit more about you, um, how can they get a hold of you online? They can check out our currently under construction website at 2healthmktg.com, but probably the best place is on LinkedIn. Well, we'll definitely connect to both on, um, on the show notes. Um, this has been a really great conversation, Cassie. I really appreciate your time today. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Chris. It's been great. I appreciate it. It's been fun. At HealthGrades, Better Health gets a head start. They help millions of consumers each month to find and schedule appointments with their provider of choice. With their scheduling solutions and advanced analytics applications, they partner with more than 500 hospitals across the country to cultivate new patient relationships, improve patient access, and build customer loyalty. To learn more, visit them online at healthgrades.com. That is healthgrades.com. What a great interview. Uh, Special thanks to Cassie for joining us and sharing some knowledge. This has been kind of a fun episode, something a little bit different. I say that, I think I've said that a lot recently, so maybe it's not all that different. So see, back to branding again and the differentiation. <laughs> I've said it's you know different a number of times now. So maybe that is that centrality. I, I don't know. I've lost track. <laughs> anyway, so but a great episode. Touchpoint.health is the website. Thanks for all the support. A couple of quick plugs for where we're going to be over the next couple of months. Starting out just after Labor Day. ShishMed Connections 2019 edition is going to be right here in Nashville. So that is September the 8th through the 11th. If you're coming, let me know. I have some information to a special event you might want to attend. And I'll kind of just tease that and leave that there. But if you're if you're interested, you're looking for a, a cool place to go and meet some folks and kind of be a part of, 
uh, I might just know of an event that you would like to attend. So anyway, hit, hit me up and I can give you a little more details there. But the, again, that's September 8th through the 11th, Nashville, Shishmet Connections 2019. Definitely. That sounds great. And since we're referring to these conferences in relationship to holidays, about a week before Halloween, oh. at the end of October, October 22nd and 23rd, in Rochester, Minnesota, you and I will both be at the 2019 Mayo Clinic Social Media Network's annual conference. Uh, that's a two and a half day event. They have a residency they do at the beginning for people wanting interested in social media and then read. You're going to do a workshop there. I'm going to be doing a presentation and you and I are both going to be recording a podcast in front of a live studio audience that will just happen to be eating their lunch. <laughs> <laughs> we have to work on uh, sound deadening. <laughs> That'll be a lot of fun. And uh, if you haven't ever been to that conference, or maybe it's been a few years, I would I, I really would recommend that you go. This is a great year to do it because it's at the mothership. It's it's in Rochester. Yeah, I don't know. It's just something about being there and you get to see the Mayo Clinic. I'm sure they'll set up and do some tours like they typically do. Oh, yeah. There's a really cool art tour that I would recommend uh, if you're coming. Be sure to check that out. Or if you've got questions, let Chris or I know. We've been like 37 years in a row now. So, uh, yeah, something like that. And, and by the way, I happen to know the event organizer and I know that there are some really interesting tours that are being set up. So learn more about it. We'll put a link in the show notes. Oh, and Dr. Brian Vardabedian, one of the other hosts here on the Touchpoint Network is one of the keynotes. So, and he's doing a workshop. So a lot of great content. So be sure to check that out. And read then just not a few weeks later in lovely, sunny Orlando, Florida, or at least we hope it will be on November 4th through the 6th, you and I will again be at the healthcare internet conference. Uh, Mickey Mouse will be there, the whole crew um, <laughs> in Orlando, Florida. And by Mickey Mouse, he means either you or me wearing one of those Mickey Mouse hats, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Maybe this could be like our earphones for... Uh, <laughs> for the for the show, uh, but yeah, we'll we'll be there. We'll be recording a podcast, doing some different and I'll things, be presenting. and uh, yeah, you'll be presenting. A lot of great folks there. A lot of great networking. A lot of great sessions. Uh, that really is one of the uh, you know really strong conferences uh, each fall that really enjoy going to. So again, whether it's Shishmed, the Mayo Clinic, HCIC, if you got any questions, let us know. We, we'd be happy to kind of give you our two cents for what that's worth. All right, before we get out of here, a couple of recommendations. What are you going with today? Well, Reed, um, I've recommended before signing up for email news notifications. And by the way, a little side um, recommendation, be sure to go to our website and sign up for the TPS report. But that's not what I'm going to recommend today. The one I'm going to recommend is The Hustle. The Hustle is a daily, well, Monday through Friday email that they talk about tech and business news. And here's the thing. You have to go to their website, which is thehustle.co, and enter in your email address to sign up for it. The other way that you can get on the list is if a friend recommends you. The more friends you recommend to be subscribed to The Hustle, you get Hustle merchandise that they send you. Because I guess it's like the multi-level marketing of emails. Mm. That sounds bad, but here's the thing. Their emails are really kind of interesting. And I'll give you the, the case in point. Today, I got an email from The Hustle, and it was about why products at 
airports are so expensive, like water or candy bars or whatever it may be. They actually did research into what actually attributes to that inflationary cost of a bottle of water or whatever it might be. And they broke it down in part. It's because the high cost of labor in part, because it costs so much to send all products through security because all products being sold at airports have to be screened. So that adds a certain amount to it. They talk about, you know, the cost per foot of real estate at, at airports, etc. right? It kind of really broke it down in a very interesting way. And that was just one email that you get every day of the week. Go to thehustle.co, put your email address in there, and just sign up. It's kind of interesting. Other topics they talk about is why coffee prices are at all-time highs. They talk about it's the worst restaurant on Yelp. Happens to be one of the, one of the topics nice. that you get in those emails. It's really kind of interesting. Anyway, I recommend it strongly. Sign up for the hustle. Very nice. I'm going to go kind of an online service as well. You ship like just the letter U, S H I P dot com. For those that may be wondering why that sounds familiar, they had a television show, kind of like uh, Storage Wars or whatever it was called, right? It was it was kind of a, kind of a similar style show, right? But U-Ship is where any consumer can go to this website that needs to ship something. So maybe you bought something off eBay or from a family member or whatever it is, and you need to get it to you, or you sold something, right? Or you're trying, or you're moving. And in my case, I was moving across the country. I've got a side-by-side ATV. We needed to move it from Texas to here in Nashville. And uh, so anyway, I went on U-Ship, plugged in my address. And what I had to ship, uploaded a few pictures, description, that kind of thing. And uh, then people interested in, in gaining my business then would bid on you know how much they would charge me to bring it to me. It worked out really, really well. And the website kind of serves as a, an escrow, if you will. And so once it was agreed upon and, and I chose somebody, I then paid and the website held, holds the money. And so when they get here... I then pull out my phone and, you know, and I go, yeah, it looks great. Nothing's broken. Looks wonderful. And then I go into the app and I say release money and then boom, they get their money. You can buy insurance uh, through the site and things like that. It's predominantly for larger items, certainly like, you know, cars, vehicles, boats, trailers. Well, that sounds really cool. Does that, is this kind of like Uber for transporting or I guess traditional like van lines and shipping companies uh, I would assume or just the the hassle of having to do it yourself that's awesome it's pr- pretty seamless yeah well there you go next time I'm gonna ship something across the country to you I'll definitely use that service <laughs> I wonder if I could just ship myself to the Mayo Clinic conference like <laughs> Could somebody just, I mean, because then it really would be like an Uber, right? I mean, it's just like, <laughs> they just come by and like pick me up and drive me to the Mayo Clinic. But anyway, be kind of That's nice. awesome. There you go. Well, uh, thanks. It's another great episode. Uh, thanks for uh, tuning in. Thanks for telling a friend. Uh, we certainly appreciate all the support. Uh, let us hear from you online. Uh, touchpoint.health is the website. And uh, we'll be back again on this same channel next week. So for Chris Boyer, I'm Reed Smith. We'll see you next time. 
This has been a Touchpoint Media production. To learn more about this show and others like it, please visit us online at touchpoint.health.